Comparable Podcast. Number 30, March 2011. We're back on the Incomparable Podcast. This is Jason Snell. I remember fondly growing up watching um, the original Star Trek every single night. Um, uh, But this is not a podcast about Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock. It is instead about, in some ways, the most successful Star Trek TV series um, from the late 80s and early 90s when I was in high school and college, Star Trek The Next Generation, a show that that really existed at a time when there wasn't a lot of sci-fi on TV. It was uh, one of the first popular syndicated drama series. It sort of broke new ground there and became extremely popular um, at a time when there weren't a lot of uh, sci-fi shows on TV at all. So uh, I think it kind of gets lost when we look back because there's such a glut of sci-fi on TV now and for the last decade. And I think people don't necessarily think about the next generation. So we're going to talk about it. So it's a little bit of a retro incomparable uh, classic, or as my wife said before we began recording this podcast, oh, you're being timely. Yes. So joining me here to talk about <laughs> to talk about the late 80s and the early 90s, I have a, a, a delightful collection of guests. Joining me, Lisa Schmeiser is here. Hi, Lisa. Hi. Also joining us, Dan Morin. Dan, hello. Hi, Jason. How are you? Great. Glenn Fleischman. Hello there. Hello. And Scott McNulty. Hello. Hello. So, so, so next generation, I, I guess what I want to start with is wh- what you guys were doing when uh, you started watching Star Trek The Next Generation. Did you watch it when it was first on? Were you in high school or, or college or something like that? Am I the oldest person on the podcast? I, I'm 43. Am I the oldest? Yes. Do I win? You win. <laughs> I watched it in college with undergrads, and everyone hated the first season, but we still made it through and watched it. We were so desperate for entertainment in those days before the computers. I watched it in nursery school. <laughs> Lisa, you said you were in high school? Well, I, I, yeah, I started, I started watching it in high school because my dad and I had watched the original series or the reruns of the original series, so I started watching it in high school. Um I didn't watch TV in college because I went through a kill your TV phase, and uh, then I resumed watching it right as it ended um, once I was in graduate school. So, all right, yeah, that that is that is my brief story. Mm-hmm. And what about you, Scott? Uh, well, I started watching it in grammar school, and then uh, I watched it throughout my high school years. Oh Jesus, really? Seriously? Oh, my God, yes. Grammar school. How young are you? Oh no, really? I I am thirty four. Wow, you're a youngster. Grammar, grammar school. Wow. Did your mother say you could stay up to record this podcast? <laughs> He's a very young fellow. <laughs> and Dan is younger than I am. Dan was watching it in diapers, Dan, apparently. Did you, did you watch Star Trek The Next Generation when it was initially on, or did you bu- pass it by? Is that Does that explain your bitterness and hostility toward it? <laughs> and your hatred for Jean-Luc Picard? I he's French. That says enough for me. Um, oh, oh, oh! Sorry. The, sorry, that, the English kind of French. <laughs> he is very he is very English French. Um, I came. I think in the later seasons were still airing. When did it? It went off the air in ninety four. Ninety four. Yes. Yeah. I was so I watched the last few years. I think um, maybe seasons five through seven or so pretty regularly but uh the local station in my area set it in syndication so it was on like every every weeknight and so i think when i stumbled upon it when i which again was probably in i don't know maybe something like 1990 or 91 um because my cousin showed me some episodes and because he was a huge star trek fan um i think i sort of started watching all the syndication episodes then and then later uh put in you know started watching it while i was on the air so you were six years old when the first season aired the fall of 87? Six, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would have been seven. So. seven. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't want ah, to make right. you seven. Uh-huh. I, was a, I, I, was, I, was, I was saying this to somebody the other week. I, I, for me, the next generation, the seven years that it was on, brackets a, I think one of the most notable periods in my life because it, it premiered when I was a uh, senior in high school. And it went off the air when I – in the spring of 94 where I was um, living with my uh, future wife in Berkeley, f- uh, finishing – I was actually just graduated from grad school and was working at my first full-time job. So I went from being a kid in high school to being basically an adult over those seven years that Captain Picard and Riker's beard were out there solving interstellar <laughs> crimes. Yeah. 
See, that's a much better coming-of-age TV series than the one I associate with that period for me, which was Beverly Hills 90210. Oh, oh my <laughs> goodness. <laughs> right, which it, itself had its own next generation later. Oh, yeah. Uh, I won't true. watch that. Oh, that's just terrible. And are, different are we going to talk about Love Boat, the next generation also, the next wave? It's Robert Urich. Robert Urich. <laughs> that's right. It was the next wave. The next so, wave. So, so um, uh, you know, we could talk, we go in a lot of different directions here. I thought it was interesting um, as we were about to press the record button, button somebody mentioned um, that season one was, was terrible. And I, I guess one of the interesting things about The Next Generation is that when it started out, um, Gene Roddenberry was very much in control. It was also, they, they hadn't, they really didn't know what they were going to do. It was a new thing. How are they going to build it? They, they, you know, it was this non-network syndicated show. They did 26 episodes a year, which is actually a lot now, but, yes. but they needed them because that was half of a, a year's worth. And so they could do, they could fill a year with 26 new ones and then 26 mm-hmm. repeats. So, um, you know, that first year, I remember at the time thinking, "Hey, this is pretty good," and I and then I realized like a couple years later, "Oh no, it was terrible." No, it, you were wrong. I just watched the uh, season. I watched the season one finale, the Neutral Zone, um, which is recently. one of the better episodes of that year. Well, what actually. I was about to say is, you can totally tell it's a it that Gene Roddenberry is still very much in charge because the whole premise of the episode is that um, the Enterprise runs across three people from the 20th century who have been cryogenically, oh, excuse me, cryonically frozen. And they thaw them out, and the entire episode is about these people and how awful they are. You know, oh, they, what do you mean you guys don't watch TV in the future? And what do you mean there's no money in the future? And why don't you guys take drugs and party and rock and roll? And and, uh. and Picard and the rest of the crew waft through with these sanctimonious expressions. And then, well, you see, we now have these greater purposes. We're dedicated to exploration and bettering ourselves and elevating the understanding of the world around us. Uh-huh. And the the fact that there was this diet, the, the fact that well, your your petty concerns like currency and entertainment yes. and free time, and I thought, yeah, this is this is the typical, this is the stuff that that I think kind of hampers the the Star Trek universe because right, when when Ron Murray was in charge, he basically said and he conceived people have in the to 60s be with, perfect. Wouldn't yeah. it be great, man, if people didn't have religion and money and wars <laughs> to bum them out? And and he tried to bring that ethos in to to the next generation. And it just I, I think it actually really limits the storytelling because if you are going to have an entity that is large enough to keep flinging you know vast crews of people into space where they're perpetually getting lost or killed, you're going to have to have a, a culture that's that's based in some in some way on allocating resources efficiently and unfortunately a, a market with currency is a good way to do that and instead of this well, we're all going to band together and Go answer questions because that's what enlightened people do. And and have you ever really looked at your hands before? And <laughs> in, in many ways, the show I think only really got good when um, Roddenberry took a step back and the the they turned over the creative. I mean, it was not that the people who were on the show the first year or two were bad mm-hmm. because actually there yeah. were some really talented people, including some of the original Star Trek writers. I think it's just the heavy hand of Roddenberry just killed yeah. a lot of this. I mean, there are lots of stories about him saying, no, no, we can't have conflict. You know, the people yeah. need to be perfect. And that goes back to the original Star Trek. It's the same way. You know, Harlan Ellison's stories are the, have the same. Con- like drama. I know. Conflict. Oh, no. It, yeah. it's, it's, and you can see, especially in that first season, that there, there it's very difficult. There And there is no, it's the happy crew and there's not a lot of internal conflict. And I do think that's actually one of the reasons my favorite episode from that first year is the big goodbye, which is a holodeck episode. Yeah, you know, yes. and the fact is, it was it was like the escape because they could say, "Well, it's Picard in a uh, a detective noir, and mm-hmm. it's the trappings of of drama, but it's all okay because it's just pretend." And that was their escape. <laughs> and I'd yeah. point out. Written by Mel Torme's son. Tracy Torme, who went on to create Sliders, by the way. So. Nice. Uh, yeah, another fi- another fine science fiction series. That will be Here's our next thing. podcast. Sliders podcast. Josh Molina had a guest shot in Sliders, so I, I guess we have to talk about well, it. And, 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 and Sabrina. <laughs> and Sabrina. And Sabrina Lloyd. Lloyd, yeah. yeah, yeah well, they did terrible things to her characters on Sliders. I really hated oh. the way they ended it with I, her. I can't oh. believe we're talking about Sliders. <laughs> okay, so episode one. So the thing is, I was reviewing the episode list for season one and I realize I think of it as a like an execrable season the Lieutenant Yar is captured by evil black people episode <laughs> well that was my favorite one the Wesley 
Wesley steps on a flower and is condemned oh, to death no. episode. Don't worry uh, about that. Oh, don't forget the uh, the bizarre introduction of the Ferengi, who are who are totally unlike anything that they go on to be. Don't forget the bizarre introduction of, of Deanna Troy's hairstyles. I just, <laughs> yeah. ever, she was so poorly, not that I'm a huge Troy defender, but she was so poorly served that first season because they just put her in these these escalatingly ridiculous outfits and her job was to come in and say something blindingly obvious and then waft off screen again and i sense hostility i sense great joy and happiness i sense he's hiding something he's looking for validation captain can't you understand when he insists on standards (laughs) the first season though when you look through the episode list and i'd forgotten this it did actually set a lot of the plot elements for all the ones that followed like they really had Mm -hmm. fairly like a lot of the most interesting stuff that happened like will wheaton's character wesley crusher who was Mm -hmm. so you know excoriated will wheaton is the is the greatest geek in the world today and he was so excoriated in his time and there were all these terrible episodes with him in which he had a be so cringy and awful but it set the stage for his character being his, uh, you know, being the next evolution of man, Q mm, appears in the very first episode and comes back. The uh, oh my well, they're, they're making oh, they so made sorry. better things out of some of that stuff, right. but it was Lore such appears. A, Data's long lost brother, the other robot, Lore appears. Lore, yes, the, yeah. know, the crystalline entity. The but I mean a lot of stuff oh, that they the killer uh, the killer snowflake. You mean killer snowflake? <laughs> <laughs> and at least they killed Tasha Yar. It's like what can you make with your CGI systems? We can make a really good looking snowflake. Then let it, you know, make it so. Make that. Snowflake. But it's evil. Make it a murderous snowflake. Loxana <laughs> Troy, good character. Yeah, Loxana Troy. One of, one of my favorite episodes is Menage à Troy, precisely because Loxana. No, Loxana takes it away. It's a, it's a great title for one thing. <laughs> yep. Yes, yeah. Loxana's fantastic, especially and then there's that wonderful scene at the end where you know they finally manage to convey to Picard that the way to get get her back from the Ferengi is if the 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 Fringy think they're about to get killed and Picard breaks out the Shakespeare and just goes to town and I it, oh it's just it's a fantastically comedic sequence we brought up the Ferengi a couple of times I think it's uh, to get back to something that that I think Dan maybe mentioned is the introduction of the Ferengi is fascinating because at the time the the Ferengi were meant to be the Klingons of the new series they were going to be the right. recurring villain and after one episode they realized there was no way they could do it because they were ridiculous. <laughs> I'm just amazed the ADL didn't like go after the show because that. Did, oh my just, god! <laughs> yeah, it's no, it's 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 you, you know Phil is not a sci-fi person at all, and he wandered in when I was in the middle of my Next Generation marathon watching during maternity. This is your, this like, is your husband. Yes, and he's like, so the Ferengi are the Jews of the Starfleet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember first watching it and being just appawed, like. Every Jewish stereotype, like, because there's no yes. Jewish writers in Hollywood, of course. They would no. never have thought no. of this. No. Um, every Jewish stereotype is trying to, you know, not just facial features, whatever. They're avaricious. They're, like, slavering after the pretty yeah, women. They, and the, like, they have uh, this, oh, my God. They, they have these strict orthodoxies, and they've got the reform Ferengi. And it's just. I don't know. I always enjoyed their yeah. development in later in later seasons and series, especially because. And in Deep yeah. Space Nine, right? Deep, Deep Space, Space Nine. Nine. It's completely different. They, they, exactly. They have so much more depth there. And I, it's, I yeah. In Deep Space Nine, because by that point, you've got them going to. To to, to 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 Starfleet Academy and, and you, they've they've turned them into a more a more fully formed race as it were but in well, the next generation it's I can get it for you wholesale dilithium rods and you're just oh my god <laughs> well in Deep Space Nine there was a Ferengi a main Ferengi character so there were yeah. no you know right. next generation there were not many uh, well I mean so in Deep Space Nine did with the Ferengi what next generation did with the Klingons right like yeah. the Klingons were mm-hmm. just baddies in the original Star Trek series yeah. and TNG you know you put a Klingon on the bridge automatically you know wow this is not like the show that we used to watch mm-hmm. And right. the Klingons become a hugely rich culture. And I think, you know, yeah. those are some of the episodes that I enjoy, I guess, for like, you know, looking back yeah. on it, were some of the ones where you sort of delve into that culture. And especially Worf. Worf is one right. of the characters who develops the most in the course of the series, right? right? And, and then and, he moves yes. on to Deep Space Nine. Well, Ron yeah. Moore, Ron Moore, who went on to make a name for himself doing Battlestar Galactica, that was mm-hmm. how he basically, I mean, he, he his spec script that got him hired was not a Klingon episode. But his first, mm-hmm. I think, script after that, and then thereafter, he became the go-to guy for the Klingons and really did make a, a you know, potentially kind of stock villainous race um mm-hmm. you know other than Worf and really kind of started to flesh them out through Worf and also through his interaction with the others and that that was when I started noticing his name in the credits was yeah. it was like Ron Moore he's the Klingon guy and he and he did a he just ripped off a bunch of great episodes I think starting in the third season yeah sins of the father where Worf uh 
goes to prove his father's innocence. Yeah, yeah, some I really great liked stuff. how they, they stretched that out over a couple – how that was a great source of dramatic tension. And Well, um, and it was one of the few things where they did that. It affected everything about Worf. It's one of the yeah. few things that has a lasting impact over the course of the yeah. series, which a lot right. of things don't. I also am a big fan of Xeno Law, so getting to see the Klingon law system was really important to me. <laughs> yeah, That's good, Glenn. Well, who doesn't? <laughs> who doesn't Xeno Law? In uh, Star Trek VI, the Klingon lawyer who defends Captain Kirk Colonel is, Worf. By, is, 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 is is a wharf. Exactly. Yeah. Played by Michael Dorn. It's his grandfather, as oh, I recall. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yes, 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 indeed. So now ba- backing up a little bit, um, th- one of the things about the second season of, of oh, The Next Generation. Pulaski. Yeah, so, so, so they, they fired – Beverly Crusher because Gene Roddenberry didn't like her. I don't even know why because she was like totally hot. And I, I, I'll second that actually. <laughs> Phil will third that for you every time. Doctor, every doctor, dime doctor, Doctor Crusher's on screen. Anyway, they replace her with Diana Muldor as Doctor Pulaski. Now, Diana Muldor, good actress. She was she was in L.A. Law. She was mm-hmm. actually in the original Star Trek, and she was actually kind of a hottie when she was in the original Star Trek. She and Captain Kirk had a little thing. Going on as Everyone did every female <laughs> character on the mm-hmm. original That's Star Trek, right. and yeah. um, so there was that. And then from the the backstory perspective, um, season two, um, there was a writer strike, and mm-hmm. and um, the show didn't get on the air for like three months. And when it did, there were these episodes that had were literally dusted off. I mean, there was dust on them. They were they were scripts for the. Uh, Star Trek Phase Two series, which was going to oh, be, yes. in, which yeah. they didn't mm-hmm. do instead of doing Star Trek: The Motion Picture, and oh, is those, that why they were so and awful? they're so terrible. <laughs> so that that season was like this interesting, interesting thing where they were really trying to get their bearings. It was much better than the first season, but it's very hard to um, to really say that Next Generation came into its own until the th- its third year, third which season, is kind I'd of say. amazing. Yeah. you know they they were they were a good fifty episodes in before they really uh, figured it out. That would never happen today. No, that well, would never happen today. <laughs> yeah, it would never yeah. go this far. Well, no, yeah, no show would get on the air long enough. When you think about it, for me, it was when they did um, uh, the episode Q Who, which introduced the Borg, mm-hmm. which was basically Q appearing and saying, yeah. "You yeah. guys are far too comfortable. I'm going to screw this up for you. Here's the Borg. They're really scary, and now they know about you, and they're going to come and get you. Bye." And for me, that was like the <laughs> moment where I was like, "All right, now we got something," and that that really was what. Um, turned it around. Um, another great episode from that season was um, was actually a spec script, which was um, Melinda Snodgrass, who's a sci-fi writer, wrote this episode called "The Measure of a Man," which had no budget because they were like it was yeah. all standing sets. And it was speaking of Xeno Law, it was a courtroom drama oh, about yeah. whether Data was about, a, yeah. a sentient being or not, which is a great episode. episode. Yeah, that was very good. There's that there's that bet, great bit in that, that bit in uh, that episode where um, they pull out a hologram. And says Data, you know, there's this uh, hologram you have of Tasha Yar, uh, former, you know, the, our late security officer. Why do you have this? He's like, well, uh, you know, we, we, we friends. Like, well, we had a an intimate relationship. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my! It's actually I'm that really that episode <laughs> and uh, the episode yesterday's Enterprise, where where there's mm-hmm. the the alternate timeline with Tasha in it, and a few others. There are a few other cases where it turns out that the death of Tasha Yar. As ridiculous as it was in story form, it really reverberates through the series. And and, and as as kind of questionable a character she was, it's not the worst thing that they killed her off. But um, but the ramifications of her death they actually handled well, better than the death itself. She was better dead. (laughs) Yes. Well, in the series finale, one of one of the nicest touches in the series finale is when Picard is time shifting through all those different realities, and he's got to have them converge. And he's trying to work with Tasha Yar, and every time he looks at her, you can tell he's thinking that he wants to say things to her and he wants to try to drink it in because he knows that she's dead and he's heroically restraining himself. And it's, it's, it's a tremendously affecting sequence. Well, you can't, you can't break the temporal prime directive. And, and that wouldn't have been made possible if she had stayed alive the whole way through. I mean, there's more emotion with the way he regards her. It was really nice to have that element of the, you know, something that had a lasting impact. Cause I think that's one of my, my complaints about TNG is that, there, it felt like there were so few things that seemed to have a lasting impact from episode to episode. Like it was, yes. we pressed the reset. It was button. before before the trend mm-hmm. of having serialized uh, storylines. I always loved those episodes, though, in which they either brought back a familiar character, whether it be you know Roxanne Troy or Q or whatever. Kalar, or uh, Worf's girlfriend. That was uh, yeah, or uh, oh, Lore man. or Alexander in later seasons, and uh-huh. then episodes uh, like Alexander. No, no. <laughs> Worf is kind of like Worf is kind of like the tiger mother twenty years early. I mean, I I like Worf's parents more than I like Alexander. 
Oh, his pants are adorable. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, but I liked. I felt that there was a reward in there, right? And like something mm-hmm. like. And so you, then, when you had the cliffhangers from the later seasons too, like the best of both worlds, you know, those were things I really enjoyed. Where it's like there's something at stake here, right? right. You don't have that, like, oh. I'm sure everything's going to be fine by next week. You know, we'll solve this problem in 50 minutes. I watched a lot of The Next Generation um, through January when I was still on maternity leave because um, my daughter wouldn't go to sleep in the crib. And so I would hold her for, for, I would hold her for naps and things like that. And I'd, watch, and, and I'd watch The Next Generation while she was sleeping. Will Riker will soothe you to sleep, baby. Oh, my God. More <laughs> or less. <laughs> hey, don't, don't knock it. One of, my, one of my cousin's daughters, when she was like three or something, like her parents were mm-hmm. avid Trek fans. And she walked into the room and like one of her like early words was, Tar Trek, Tar Trek. <laughs> in memory of Tasha Yar. But, um, but one of the things that's so striking is is Star is Star Trek: The Next Generation is just such a product of of its of 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 the time of its creation, and I thought, wow, you know, for a show that's supposed to be set a couple centuries in the future, it really is pretty firmly fixed in the late 1980s, early 1990s, mm. in terms of what the future was going to be like, in terms of aesthetics, in terms of sensibility. And I recognize that part of the problem with aesthetics comes down to budgetary limitations and technology limitations, because I'm sure we can all remember when incorporating CGI was like a huge deal on Babylon Five. Right, right. I mean, it was all mo- you know? it was all model work, not much more advanced yeah. than what they had in the well, 60s. <laughs> right, yeah. because so you yeah. had the Enterprise going like in every episode. Plus, don't forget, it was just, I mean, it was also just the, the look of it. It was very brightly yeah. lit and optimistic, and there wasn't Clean. very much serialization. And it was a very, and, and that yeah. goes back to the fact that when they were building the sets and coming up with the aesthetic, Gene Roddenberry was there saying, the future is great. Everybody loves everybody else. And now in the let's future, do a we show. don't have bacteria. And in the future, right. no one needs wet wipes. And in the future, yeah, it, it's, it's, I, it's not, it's not a very complicated future. And, that that never sat right with me because like, cause I, right. I just kept thinking, you're going to keep running into, into civilization after civilization yeah. after civilization. You're going to tell me that you're not going to find a planet that, that insists on an absolute morality and can't handle the cultural relativism that, that the Federation is based on. And you're, and you're going to tell me that – Think about the Tanagra episode too. Like how long did it take for them to get to a point where they, the universal tr- translator failed and you had a culture yeah. that – I mean that – I think that was a – oh, you know, so, Episode, episode 102 is how long it took them. Five episode years. Episode 102. And that <laughs> is I, one of the – that is one of the things like Dar- Darmok it's called, Darmok? right? Yeah. Episode yeah. – season five, episode Great two. Episode. And that is one of the, the – one of the few times in the series when they did something – even though I, I liked the show as a whole and I watched mm-hmm. it fairly religiously is um, I thought they did something – Totally unexpected. I watched it and went, "Holy cow! They're doing hard sci-fi finally." Okay, well, yeah. let, I'm going to use this as a as an excuse to go around the room and see if everybody's got an episode they want to single oh. out as one of their favorites, and I'll do that because my favorite Star Trek episode is Darmok, written oh. by Joe Minoski, which is uh, that that is that is it by a mile my favorite episode because it's about having to communicate and the translator not working and having to understand with metaphors. And, you know, there's stakes and Picard is alone and and then he joins up with his alien captain. Is he a friend? Is he a foe? There's a beast, a monster that's trying to kill them there. You know, the captain doesn't make it out alive. So there's there's really uh, uh, some serious, you know, sadness and a, a real high stakes kind of thing happening. And um, yeah, so for me. Uh, that episode is absolutely the pinnacle of that what what they did. So that's my favorite. And Paul Winfield does not have a, a good re, you know a good uh, history uh, run in Star Trek because he's yes. always dying. He's always dying. That's right because he was dying. he was Captain <laughs> Terrell in Star Trek too. They put oh, creatures okay. in our bodies. <laughs> made us say lies. Well, the Star Trek 2 podcast is coming. but Oh, oh my yet. God. You know, I was traumatized by that scene for years. Made us oh. say lies. Do things. But the oh, captain. The bugs crawling out of the ears. He was strong. <laughs> yeah. Oh, poor Chekhov screams again. Star Trek 2. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All he does is scream. <laughs> uh, any, other, any other favorite episodes out there? Now that I've professed my love for Darmok and Gelada Tanagra. Oh, I love that. Um, just okay. I'll, everybody can just okay. agree with me. Then. I'm a, I'm a, that's the best. Agree. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out a weird one because I figure what somebody because uh, you mentioned Joe Manoski. I just had a look at his other episodes. I'm gonna throw out masks. Oh man, I knew you were gonna mm. do that. Oh, that's that one. Not, not I have other episodes that contend for masks. But masks was again that was the experimental was, final season of Next Generation. Yeah, oh. it was like it was a little bit <sighs> like I'm not saying it was the best episode. 
Oh, no, it's the episode where Bright Spider gets to chew the scenery by channeling all these different uh, yeah, personalities. Yeah, like the trickster. Yeah, yeah. And... Including, like, an ancient fertility goddess who also kills. And, and, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Glad the reason I think you like that episode, and I'm not surprised that you like it, is that that episode is definitely, like, something that could be, uh, you could write whole dissertations about. Because it is, like, Joe Minoski kind of disgorging myth in just myth figures into and the meaning of myth and why we have myths and just tr- pouring it out right. into an episode. That was it. And I, I mean, more it's, fun it's, to think about than maybe to watch. It's though. his Joseph Campbell episode, clearly, right? Yeah. It's it's his it's his Star Wars telling. But I I like I'm not going to I'm picking an oddball one because I had forgotten about masks until just looking at episodes. Like I would you know normally I would say the inner light. Everyone's going to pick inner yes. light, so I'm yeah. not going to take that one. I'm taking masks because masks again. You're watching a show on mainstream television and they're doing something that. Is almost incomprehensibly strange, and they're packaging it in this science fiction wrapper while telling a bigger story. And I, I've always had a soft spot for Brent Spiner. I don't think he's a fabulous actor, but I think he's. Um, uh, I mean, I don't think he's like you know, it's great. Like like I think about um, Patrick Stewart. Uh, is Patrick a good Stewart, actor. for instance, right? Uh, <laughs> oh, but I, yeah. but I mean, and so many guest stars I've had in the show who are just really fantastic. But I've always liked Brent Spiner's total commitment to what he's doing, and so I, I like that episode quite a bit. Man, now, you know, despite the fact that I, I'm not the, the hugest TNG fan, I was like going over my list. And I'm like, you know, there's a lot of really good episodes <laughs> That's right. in here that I, that I do like. I might I might pick Lower Decks from season seven. <gasps> oh, that was a, on my list. Oh, that's a good one. Which is, which a is a really one. good episode about that's these on my four. List. It's basically one of those episodes where it's like, let's ignore the entire main cast for most of the episode and focus on these younger officers on there. Mm-hmm. But oh, again, yeah. it was an episode where there was something at stake. Um, yeah, and there's someone something. Dies. And they kill yeah, someone else. dies. Yeah, at someone the end. dies, yeah. and yeah, and it's it's kind of. A, I enjoyed that there was a like there was an episode with with drama and and stakes there, and I think that would. Um, and and in getting that perspective, I love the perspective getting... ship. Uh, we talked about that about Buffy about the episode the Zeppo where yeah, uh, it, it's just you following yeah. Xander and his random adventures, and everything else in the plot happens in the background. And the lower decks is that same way where well, it's because you the... wonder like, well, there, there's hun- hundreds of people on this ship, right? Yes, right. Yes. Like and like we never hear about like you see the people like they hand a pad to somebody or like mm-hmm. they get right. shot if they're you know a security officer or whatever. But you never get stories from any of them, and so I I really enjoyed that. I love that you got the stories. By by the way, Lisa, we can talk about everything that they got wrong, but uh, they nailed the iPad. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> true. Two, 200 years early. Did, the but... only thing they didn't nail, the only thing they didn't get right is the fact that they, they thought of pads as discrete so you could have a stack of pads or, or different pads that were pre-programmed. People didn't have tablets that were associated specifically with them. They but needed an app I, store. I will seed you that. Yeah. A pad app store. Federation I have a stack store. of Kindles next to me, so. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're writer than Each you know. Each one in its own volume, yeah. All right, those are good choices. Lisa? The Masterpiece Society. Wow. Um, it's the, well, okay. Great, great title. One of the things that I always thought about TNG that I was sad about was that they didn't have as many good titles. The original Star Trek had these crazy, yeah. like Shakespeare City on the Edge of titles. Is, yeah, is, for the world yeah. is hollow and I have touched the sky. The sky and, and, yeah. and whereas Next Generation had episodes like Ethics, New Ground. Conundrum, <laughs> you know, where it's just like, you know, episode is dictionary word. But yes. that one was a great one. The Masterpiece Society, which is like the society in a bottle. Yes. And um, it's one of the few episodes where Deanna Troy is is not completely useless. Right. Um, so I wasn't annoyed about that, which which of course vaults it of many others. The, she um, actually makes horrible ethical breaches in that episode. She does, which is delightful. Um, but the thing I really love about it is how Jordy puts their stuff in the street. I mean, <laughs> if you'll pardon me for being crude, but he's he's dealing with this brilliant scientist, and she's all, "We would have never thought about this." And Jordy's like, well, you wouldn't have thought about it because I thought about it and I'm blind and I would have been aborted and never allowed to exist in your society. Am I right? And she's like, yes, yes, you are right. Awkward. That is why Jordy is my favorite character, despite the fact that he gets short shrift through the entire damn series. I know. They put a banana clip over his eyes and and, and he gets to be the happy-go-lucky, cheery cheery guy. And his girlfriend is a hologram. Well, I know. Who amongst us doesn't have a hologram girl? She is a hologram. I mean, as, well, as a, as a biologist, the, as a biologist, the science behind Masterpiece Society doesn't doesn't hold up at all because they're oh we've 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 planned the society out for successive generations and it, all the genetics are interlocking blah 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 and I kept thinking that's not, that's not how population genetics works um, right but but and, it makes that but, social but, point about the yeah. fact that they've created this locked off society everybody has this rigid role that they're born to and one of the characters points out that that. Um, 
having to come into contact with with forces beyond their control and, and people who are completely random has has forced them to question the integrity of of their of their society and has forced them to question whether it's really a, a sane way to live if you are born saying oh you were engineered to be a leader oh you're engineered to be a a, a, a brilliant scientist this is your role go forth and flourish you no know, i just saw that episode recently it's funny and and one of the things that struck me about it is that the original star trek that would have been a story where captain kirk happens on this planet and says you people are crazy i'm going to ruin everything you don't understand <laughs> everyone must live their own lives in the way that it's intended for them to live and then he would create a logical fallacy in the computer that controls the entire society Norman. would explode and then they would leave right so in this episode <laughs> see you later the nice thing is, I, I love that's why i love that that's actually that episode the taste of armageddon is one of my favorite original star trek episodes for that reason where kirk's like this is this is messed up i'm gonna break everything and and, and, leave. and then leave goodbye you are uh, prime directed kill, your, kill yourselves you. or not but i'm going so masterpiece society is basically an intractable problem that the enterprise doesn't mm -hmm. cause it but then yeah. their presence is there and they're like well we got to do something and they and and there are no good solutions, which is great because they're right in the middle of it. They're like, what what, what do we do? Where Kevin Kirk would be like, ha ha! You actually see them really fret over. You know, Picard is really torn. Scott, do you have a favorite? I do have a favorite, and I like it more because of the character that is the central driving force than the actual episode itself. Oh. Uh, the nth degree. Which Ooh, features Barkley. Reginald Barkley, uh, who oh, is Barclay's one of my, my favorite character I on Star Trek. Barclay. Next AKA, oh, you know, Howling Barclay Mad is Howling Mad Murdoch. That's, that's, yes. an, that's another Joe Minoski episode, and I love that episode too, and I think it gets short shrift among all the kind of Reg Barkley episodes. But you know what? Barkley is all of us. That's why we love him. We're all. That's true, because everyone on Star Trek The Next Generation, especially on the Enterprise, because it's the flagship of the, the Federation, they're like the cream of the crop. Yep. Everyone's perfect. And he's and Reginald a screw Barkley, up. Exactly. He's a screw he's up. Awesome. He's a little insecure. He uh, likes to go to the holodeck and uh, have the bridge crew in his fantasies. Yep, it's so fantastic. And in, in, the, and in the nth degree, he becomes. Um, becomes super intelligent, super intelligent. <laughs> and and finds that the enterprise's computer is too slow so he hooks his brain into the the enterprise and takes over so they can solve this problem uh which I don't think he ends up solving, but no, uh, it, then... it's it's actually a, a, a like a Trojan horse to get them to transport to. There's an alien oh, race right, right. in that that doesn't travel. They just send out these probes that make yeah. people smart, and then they open wormholes that yeah, take them to their come, planet, yeah, and they exactly. say, "Hey, welcome, let's talk." Laziest race. Ever. Oh yeah, it's yes, very advanced, but very lazy. They're not good travelers. They prefer their home. Bodies. That settles our stomach a little. <laughs> Yeah. Can I have a second favorite episode? Yeah, go Can ahead. Because this I format just, is 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 over. I, I also <laughs> have a second favorite episode. Yeah, yeah, we'll, go we'll go around again. Does anyone remember? Again, well, there's there's like seven thousand episodes. Does anyone remember the survivors? The man and his wife found in a planet. The rest of the planet's been destroyed. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, this is a beautiful episode. This is a beautifully constructed episode because it is a mystery and oh, it is yeah. actually a successful mystery. You can't figure it out on the first watching and it ends with something so chilling that I can recite, you know, part of it because it it it, it really affected me. So the plot of the the survivors is a third season episode. In fact, so yeah. early but very thoughtful. They come to this planet, the whole planet's completely burned out except for one house and there's a guy there and his wife and they claim because they refused to fight against some alien race, they were spared and the aliens destroyed the rest of the planet because people resisted and, and they feel bad, but whatever. And somewhere along the line, they're like, but go on your way. We're fine here. We have enough supplies for the rest of our lives. See you later. And the Enterprise is like, well, I guess there's nothing we can do. We'll put out an APB for this alien race. Um, and at some point, uh, they think something's wrong. So they keep sticking around. And then Troy gets her mind jammed by like a music box. She has to get put in a coma. And you're trying to figure out what the hell goes on. So it finally turns out the guy is actually a Q-style super powerful alien. And his wife is a projection. And the solving of the mystery is Jean-Luc Picard says, your wife doesn't really exist, does she? And she says, what are you talking about? And the husband says, I'm sorry, you're not really here. Everyone went to fight, including the wife. Everyone's killed except the guy. And he's so angry and he's so all-powerful. This is the thing that chilled me. So he's like... He's like, so I killed them all. And Picard says, what do you mean? You killed everybody on the spaceship? He's like, no, I killed the entire race, four billion beings everywhere they existed in the universe. I killed them all. And they all sort of say... 
this is kind of beyond our ability to judge. Like you have tortured yourself. There's we gotta no go. Way yeah, exactly. We gotta there's, there's a computer oh. we need to mess up. <laughs> yeah, we've, we, yeah, we no, gotta that's... go do a logic error. Yeah, so on some there's other this thing planet. called live journal you might want to check out and put <laughs> yes. it up there. The, maybe... Okay, that, that we'll period. Be, um... Actually, Glenn, I'm glad you brought that up. That period, the th- beginning of the third season, that is when they kicked it into gear. Because if you yeah. look at those first few episodes. The first episode is Evolution, which I, I, people don't like because it's got Wesley and the Nanites in it. But Ken Jenkins, um, who was later on Scrubs, is in that. And he's this yeah. kind of baseball-obsessed astrophysicist who's kind of – this is his only shot at glory and he's afraid it's going to go badly. And I love that episode. I think that he Jenkins' performance is actually really good. And he's annoying and people don't like him because he's annoying. But I think it's a really human uh, character and performance of a guy who knows he's being a jerk but mm. is so desperate because he knows this is his only chance. Um, and that's followed up by an episode called Instance of Command, which is basically a great data episode where he gets stuck on a planet by himself, has oh. to try to get these people to evacuate their their oh, their yeah. homeland or they're mm. all going to die. And that's a wonderful that episode. Then there's The Survivors. And then the episode after that is the one with Ray Wise from Twin Peaks, which is Who Watches the Watchers, which is where um, they break the Prime Directive by accident because they're observing yes. primitive people. And they, they, they like think Picard is a god and they try to beam them up to the... And it just keeps getting worse and worse, and the the, the contamination gets worse. And those four episodes, um, you know, I remember watching those four episodes and saying, wow, I I thought the first season was kind of good. It was terrible compared to this. And that's when they got it, I think, is right in that little collection of episodes. They had the good uniforms and the good, the good uniforms uniform with the collars. Starting in three, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. were those the episodes? Was that the um, we no longer have to pull suits. our costumes down episode season? Yes. That's right. Finally, the, the Picard maneuver. The, the, the actors Picard drove the actors crazy. The Picard maneuver. That's how they got yeah. the, the. They drove the actors yeah. crazy because they talked about it all the time. They're like, "Oh my god!" When they finally got us out of those terrible uniforms, yes. where every the time we stood up. Yeah, yeah, that was that was it. And Ron Moore came on and and had his first script there, and that was when it all. It all came together right right around then. So I think that's – but that's a great episode and it is chilling. Babylon 5 did something similar where there's a disease that wipes out an entire race. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's one of my favorite episodes of Babylon 5 for that same reason. It is it, – it goes to a deep, dark place that you don't yeah. see a lot of stuff go and, and that only sci-fi can really take you there, I think, um, to, to make that – to really think about uh, ultimate kind of genocide and how horrific it is. So – and if you play the Star Trek The Next Generation collectible card game, Kevin Uxbridge, <laughs> the Kevin Uxbridge card is very powerful. He wins. Powerful. He does. He just wins. Everybody <laughs> else dies. Right? Yeah. Tap him to destroy every other card in the game. That's right. <laughs> but only when you kill his wife. <laughs> other other favorite uh, or I guess second favorite episodes? I would uh, I would throw it. I guess maybe this is kind of like you know maybe a little bit obvious, but uh, I would throw out all good things because oh. it's oh, I, is I think a good. great a great capper, one of the best. It's series hard finales. to do one of the series best finales. series finales that I've ever seen. To be yeah, honest I agree with you, with that. all good things. excellent see, oh, series capper, great and they're series very finale. hard to do without like they didn't screw up the format. I like that data turns into a crazy cat android. Well, and they're not, and they're and they're not. It's not like it's a big event, right? I mean, that's one of the mm-hmm. great things about it is there's a lot going on and it's a spectacular story, but it's not yeah. like the Enterprise has reached the end of its voyage and everybody's saying goodbye. It's not that. No. No, no it's you got your Q comes back. You got Jordy in the future with real eyes. You've got the Enterprise that that flies in three dimensions, which is my with favorite part Mesa. of the entire show. Also, a very good card in the custom the, the, the card. The they've killed Enterprise. off Deanna. They've killed off Deanna Troy inexplicably, which I, I, I and and Picard well, then, and, and Riker's all like old and bitter, and... right? Yeah. Oh, see, yeah. that's great. I love that. <laughs> I like it when Riker's bitter. It's McFadden has her own ship, and she. Dresses yeah, down hard too. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. never do that on my bridge. Oh yeah, that I'm was a great scene too. And he's kind of like everyone thinks he's crazy, right? He's like, yeah. he seems yeah. he seems yes. crazy because he's crazy beard yeah. Picard. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a fantastic episode because he had gone to tend the vines, and next thing you know, he's busy calling in chits and and babbling about alternate timelines, and people are like whatever, whatever, old man. It was Don Quixote. I do have a I have a Jonathan Frakes connection. Really? Other than my beard, it, uh, I went to uh, my college, Lehigh University, and I was an English major. And so, you need to have an academic advisor. My academic advisor was What's Professor Frakes. No, it was <laughs> Professor Frakes, and I thought, hmm, that's odd. And I went to his office, and he had a giant cutout of <laughs> Jonathan Frakes in his office because Professor Frakes, dun dun dun, Jonathan Frakes is a father. Oh. It was much better if it was, not his, if it was not his dad. It would be much better. Did he have a cutout of Jonathan Frakes just as a guy or was it a Will Riker cutout? 
No, it was a, it was a Riker cutout, and it had, had like, a little sign on the Frakes with a cup of coffee and a script and a little baseball cap. <laughs> it had a little sign lines. on it. It had a little sign on it that said "Hi Pop," which I thought was sweet. Oh, that is sweet. That's oh, so that's my yeah. Frakes. I mean, I, th- I think the character Riker is a big mobile block of cheese, but I have I have no complaints whatsoever about Jonathan. Well, Frakes, Riker Riker is one of those. I mean, I, I think gets, Riker was specifically a uh, Captain Kirk uh, Light. A response – well, it was a response to the fact that they got a lot of criticism for the fact that Captain Kirk, you know, was the captain of the ship and very important and yet he was always out there doing the most dangerous things. And so their response was to sort of split it into the older kind of authority figure, Captain Picard, and and the younger kind of headstrong – Kirk-like character, who especially in that first season is very Kirk-like, yeah. who is who is who is Riker. Oh, yeah. The problem is that, that you know, first off, the original Star Trek with Kirk doing all those things, it worked. <laughs> and second, for drama, I mean, yeah. how can you not have? I mean, Picard's not going to sit on the bridge, and you get you got Patrick Stewart. How are you going to not use him? And so in the end, it's like, okay, yeah. then what is Riker for? Yes, that's a question we all we we can all ask He's, ourselves. What is Riker for? He plays the trombone. What is the name of the episode where he um, thinks that he's aged 16 years and lost his memory future, and it turns out to be future, a holodeck hallucination? Oh. Future Imperfect, which is also one of my favorites. And then future he, Imperfect. Yeah, yeah, and I like it. I also like it because he's very compassionate towards the person, the, the child who has done it towards him. I mean, if anybody else had been like, okay, you tried to memento me for, for why? You know, they might be tempted to, to smack the kid around a little bit. And he's instead, he's like, oh, you poor lonely Because in the future. Let me take you the, back yes, to Yes, that's right. He's he he has seen Memento, which wasn't made when the story was aired. Say, you just, <laughs> you just retconned that episode, didn't you? Second Chances is a good ep- is one of my another episode I really enjoy, which is where the we they find the duplicate Riker who's been stuck on this planet for yeah, years because of a transport. Oh, oh Will Riker, yeah, yeah, Thomas, 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 Thomas yeah. Riker. Yes. And so, and you get these weird, like they're they're the same person, only kind of not because he's been stuck on a planet yeah. for years. And he actually gets it's, some it's, fun, it's, he gets some traction in Deep Space Nine. Later, right. he shows up and kind of goes rogue, basically. Uh, by pretending yeah. to be Riker and stealing the Defiant. <laughs> did, right. did anybody love the Scotty Comes Back episode of Star Trek? I, I, kinda... I, love, I love Scotty, period. Just oh, like, not he's like my generation. favorite character ever. I, I love that episode because, once again, it's so Scotty comes back and, you know, in the original series, he could fix everything and he comes back and he doesn't know anything about yeah. the new stuff. And Jordy's like, please, we can fix it. Just go back to your cabin. And Scotty's <laughs> like, oh... <laughs> Well, and he, he they re, they do the holodeck, but then and Scotty the tells Jordy appearance. how to do his job, yeah, how to manage his boss. Also, there's yeah. a lot of good mockery of bad episodes in that episode. I don't know if right. you remember this, where 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 there are yeah. several scenes where Jordy is telling him sort of the end of a plot of a bad episode. And we soured the milk. We say, right, and Scotty's like, oh, that's funny. That wasn't a very good episode. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and and Scotty also reveals how he got his reputation as a miracle maker by overestimating how long it will take, and then delivering <laughs> yeah. in yeah. record time. That's what, that's what I like about that episode is where he basically tells he tells Jordy you have got to stop being honest about what you can do. <laughs> exactly. you, you, you need to manage your boss's expectations so that he'll be a lot more impressed with you. Also, J- Jimmy Dewin is just a delight. Like anytime he's on the screen, he's just I don't know. He's great. I love him. Do we have any more um, episodes that we would like to call out out of the hundred and seventy something <laughs> that were? What was someone? I'd like to know. Does anyone have produced? a hated episode as opposed to like? Oh yeah, the first season. Oh, oh I, want, yeah. I want to know a hated episode myself. Oh yeah, I got I got a couple. Ooh. Let me. I'll give you one from the first season, and I'll give you one from the last. Season. That's two oh, season. Bookends. The, the bookends. first the first season that episode. Code of Honor, which we mentioned earlier, oh. which is the the um, people. It's it's black aliens in a Chinese culture, and I guess they were trying to be all kind of multicultural. And it is so. It is not only offensive, but poorly acted and so terrible. You put that in double feature with the one where Wesley steps on the grass, no. and really, you got to wonder why <laughs> oh, they. My. Uh, were allowed to continue making episodes. Yes, and then and then <laughs> I'm going to throw out there um, from that experimental wacky last season where they d- did interesting stuff like Lower Decks and yeah. uh, and um, um, the one with war- parallels where there are all the different versions of parallel universes. I love those episodes. Oh, I did. But like right parallels, in the yeah. middle there is an episode that was called, I believe, called Sub Rosa, which oh, is Crusher, which is. Beverly oh, Crusher's yeah. gothic romance. Oh, yeah. Ghost oh, God, with I the hate ghost that story. That was going to be my succubus. most hated. One of it, it, perhaps yeah. the worst episode incubus. of Star Trek. It's like Trek. an Anne Rice novel. It, it is, is like an because no, uh, embarrassing. It's an Anne Rice novel that where, where where it's basically the same premise where this this family of women is haunted by a ghost that ravishes them and and gives them supernatural powers and and 
this this episode is pretty much a direct descendant or parallel to that one. So, by, by the way, I'm uh-huh. amazed that nobody actually mentioned Best of Both Worlds Part One or One oh, and I, Two as I, the I, best I, episode because, in many ways, it's yeah. the definitive. I think Next right. Generation episode. It's the it's the episode that my husband, again, who doesn't watch the sci-fi, loves. It's got everybody so. talking about it. I think that's what made it a mainstream kind of hit, is that episode yeah. with, with that great cliffhanger. And I think it brought bla- brought back the season-ending cliffhanger yeah. to TV, too. Because they, they didn't used to do that, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. that episode was such a great cliffhanger that it brought it back. So anyway. My God, it's Data's head. Why is it buried under San Francisco? Not, not, not no, so that's good. time that's variable. A, that's oh, a that's a that was yeah, another cliffhanger. And, and, and not so good. But anyway, <laughs> anyway on, so, man. Sub Come Rosa. On, so those are my hated I know, episodes. I, know. I, uh, I kind of... Rascals. I, rascals. Oh. That's kind of adorable. No, I hate children. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's where they, they turn into the they they So you must really hate the episode Disaster when Picard's in the turbo lift with the children. Oh my. That is another one of the first episodes I ever saw. That that I remember I remember watching that in college and saying disaster good good title. One of the things oh. I love one of the things I love about Picard is the fact that he's uncomfortable around children because yeah. you know typically well, that, and that's a thing, he's right? ridiculously no the, yeah it's his thing and that these ridiculously well rounded people oh they're they animals animals are gentled by their touch and children instantly trust them <laughs> women swoon at them and men want to be them and instead you have Picard and he's like you short human come back after you've been socialized and grown and yeah. I I just enjoy that he's he's deeply uncomfortable with children he just I I kind of like to imagine him as somebody who is deeply uncomfortable being a child and and you know oh what's the what is the episode. It's the Saw episode of Star Trek where Picard is stuck in a space they can't get out of with, like, not enough food and three alien races. And um, they're trying to open a door, and one of them is some kind of leonine thing and wants to eat the other. And uh, you know what I'm talking about? It turns I out they're, do. like, being experimented on by transporter beings is the craziest oh, episode. Schisms? Is that it? Is that, is that schisms? Is that the one where they? I really yes. People schisms. are abducted and experimented. No, no, sleep. that's a different no. ab- ad- ad- abduction. No. That's something to do with subspace. <laughs> this was an episode in which Picard finds himself suddenly with an ensign, um, supposedly an ensign, a leonine beast, some kind of, and like another mm-hmm. creature, and they're in a room, and it's basically Saw. It's a it's a G, uh, you know PG version of Saw where they have to get out of the room and they can't figure out what needs to happen. There's not enough food for everybody, and eventually they sort of solve the puzzle, which is that the ensign isn't really an ensign. She knows too much information that's secret. And it's some race of beings who are trying to st- are studying other people uh, uh, who are separate because they're always bonded together, a very Gene Roddenberry so, kind so of did thing. Did you like that or hate that? I hated that okay, episode. Okay, good, good. All right. Can I, can I give <laughs> I something? That not, episode. It's not an episode, but it's going to be a, a rather uh, controversial, controversial review, which is that I don't like data. <laughs> What? He annoys me. Actually, so no, I'd be happy to discuss that with you because here's my here's my complaint about the Star Trek ethos as a whole. Is you first you have Data the android who what is it for you humans to love? Oh, I yearn to feel as you feel. And then when you get into Voyager, oh, what makes me want to slam my head into a desk? Yeah, and then you get Voyager with the hologram who's all I want to be an enfranchised sentient being. With- Every Star Trek has it. The yeah, doc- you've got the Doctor, you've got Spock, you've got Odo. But here's the thing: yeah. is I can't help but think that you might have a form of artificial intelligence who's like look uh you know you meet sex with your hormones have enough to distract you the fact is i don't need to sleep i don't have any feelings i can kick your ass in productivity you can take your humanity and shove it just just leave leave me to do my work i think data progresses a little bit there where where you do see that he kind of likes the fact that he that you know he sleeps he seems in the end i think they compromised there a little bit and had to be more curious about the things that he couldn't experience that he wanted to but they jerked it around so much they did emotion like that thing bugged me it's like every time (sighs) maybe i'm ready for the emotions no totally not ready for this i'm just gonna take him out again oh these emotions they're so addictive i love being angry oh my gosh what am i going to do it's an ethical you remember the classic moment in one of the movies though where they're walking along and data's going blah 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 and they're like hey can it and he shakes his head he's like okay it's off yeah 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 Yeah. they handled it better because he's like captain i'm scared and and picard's like turn off the emotion they handled it better in in first contact where uh, which by the by the way that that is for me um that's the not only the definitive you know star trek the next generation movie but i think i I actually think that that and and star trek 2 and and i think i guess i would throw Mm -hmm. in the jj abrams movie too i mean those are the those are the best star trek movies i think i think first contact is the the one if you're gonna if you're gonna hold it out there that is a great great movie directed by jonathan frakes jonathan frakes 
and I and I I gotta mm-hmm. say I I really do like Star Trek Six and um yeah and I think in, I like in, Star Trek Four I like in, the whales oh, Four one as well in, on reviewing yeah. I have found Generations better like yeah. I you know what it it it's okay it's got it it's got its me. moments it has it's got him. some moments and it's got it's you oh, know yeah. uh, <laughs> I like seeing the Picard Kirk team up I I kind of enjoy that at the end yeah. sounds like fun. Who doesn't? I mean, who doesn't like Malcolm McDowell? Time is the fire in which we burn. He's a great villain, Captain. Well, and again, you have the kids thing, right? Like Picard, he's his like nephew or something is dead, right? Yeah, right. And his his family gets wiped out from from the ones the ones who are in that episode uh, after he gets um, he's rehabbing from being taken by the Borg. I guess, uh, yeah. yeah, and I guess, yeah. I guess, one of the things I don't like about, uh, you know, going back to the data thing for a second, is that I feel like the problem, one of the problems with TNG, is that they focused like Picard, Data, and to a certain extent, Worf, like got yes. all the attentions. And like I said, I, I always felt a little miffed because I loved Jordy as a character, and I felt like he never got his due. Like he doesn't progress much from the beginning of the show to the end. And I don't know why I like him so much, but oh, I just I always girlfriend. enjoyed. Come on, yeah, and he's Data's best friend. <laughs> Well, I can tell you why I like Jordy so much is because he he embodies he actually embodies these better human qualities that that Roddenberry I'm sure was trying mm. to strive for. Yeah. I mean, jo- yeah. Jordy's an intensely loyal right. friend. He's endlessly patient. He's the one who helps humanize Data because he's the one that explains things right. like here's how pets work and oh, it looks like Spot's expecting. And he also becomes Hugh Hugh the Borg's best friend oh, when they're yeah. rehabbing the uh, the Borg. Yeah. Well, and he likes he knows how everything works. You know, he he runs the damn ship, right? I love that. He's a tremendously observant and pragmatic and compassionate character. And those are three tr- really appealing personal qualities to have. And um, for all the, the these characters are supposed to, be, supposed to be really perfect, compassion's in pretty short supply. If you take a look at, at you know, I mean, data, data is capable of having it when it's an abstraction or when it's the logical thing to do. Worf has to step around his own baggage to have it. Picard has it in the abstract half the time. I'm not sure... Uh, Riker even knows what it is, but George Troy Troy has it, way it, too much of it. Exactly. <laughs> Troy, Troy is just pure well, compassion. See, that, well, that's why I left her out is because it's 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 false currency with her. I mean, she's nothing else. She's right. she's not discriminatory. But you know, Jordy seems to have this intent, this this fantastic internal moral compass that you know got, that that guides his decision. You know, when to be pragmatic and and then when to upbraid somebody for for their flawed society. And uh, you know, he's 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 a consummate observer. That's Yay, right. Jordy! I say. <laughs> I just want to mention the episode that I hated was called Allegiance. It's season. Uh, it was season three, episode eighteen. So actually, relatively early, but I hated it. So what? What is that? So, I forget the name of the episode where that um, alien thing latches onto the Enterprise uh, because oh, it thinks it's its thing? mother. Yeah. Yeah. Galaxies. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that episode. No, uh, Space whale. Is that booby no, no. trap. He's yeah. a marine biologist. Or is it no, Galaxy's no, Child? Follow up. Galaxy's Child. Galaxy's Child. Right. That's good. Yeah, that's um, terrible. It's like a it's like a lamprey or something. I want to I want to bring up another episode that I just that I that I forgot to mention that I like. I'm going to switch back to the positive. I for, I can't believe I didn't mention this one. I love Ship in a Bottle, which is a holodeck episode. <laughs> yes. And worse, it is a Sherlock Holmes or Moriarty episode. Yeah, Moriarty. Uh, that's a good. But one. what I love about it is because the plot is the craziest thing I think I have ever seen on TV. <laughs> In that, in the end, yeah. they solve the mystery by creating a holodeck inside a holodeck inside that. a holodeck, and 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 when you're watching it, you're like, "What is going on?" Thanks I don't to even... Reginald Barkley. Thanks to Barkley, and the That's best right. part is Barkley. Yeah. After all of that, at the end of the episode, and we've had these machinations where there's holodecks inside a holodeck, and there's that great moment where they step out of the holodeck and say, "End program," and and then it goes away, and then they step out of the holodeck. Um, and but, he tries and, again, right? And at the say, end, at the end, Barkley is alone. Everybody else leaves as <laughs> well. That wrapped up nicely, and they all leave. And Barkley's standing there, and he goes, "Computer end program." Whew. <laughs> <laughs> I would point out that scene is uh, parodied in an excellent episode of Futurama, where it's like, wow. "Oh no, the hollow shed is the hollow shed is malfunctioning again, and we have evil Lincoln. Was it evil Lincoln? Genghis <laughs> Khan and Professor Moriarty?" Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So actually, that that's great because it leads me into into uh, something that I mentioned at the beginning that I want to bring back at the end here, which is this you know this show wildly successful seven years on the air um, led to four I think feature films um, you know it, it it's um, introduced the world to Patrick Stewart I think which is a good thing um, but at the same time 
I feel like it's it's people don't talk about it, and it 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 was it had its cultural moment, and I feel like it's we, just we kind don't of talk about gone that. by, right? <laughs> well, uh, but the thing is, is people. I, I think if you if you scratch the surface, though, enough people will say that they watched it. They just don't talk about watching it. And I bring this up because I have an email list with a group of girlfriends where I was mentioning I'm overdosing on Star Trek right now. I'm on maternity leave. I'm losing my mind. I'm, I'm watching these shows. And every single one of my girlfriends is like, oh, that Patrick Stewart. Oh, Captain Picard. And <laughs> Oh, Miles O'Brien. Well, no, seriously. He is catnip to the ladies. And every single one of these people who, who are not science fiction mavens at all were like, I loved that show because I loved watching Captain Picard. So I, I, I think there it may be a, a, one of these cultural constants like JAG where nobody talks about watching it, but everybody did it. Well, and, and I think it's one of those shows that also, like we're saying, paved the way for a lot of stuff that came after it. I mean, in terms of, you know, science fiction and, and you know, that kind of genre stuff that wasn't necessarily as welcome or was kind of campy or whatever before that. Um, I think, you know, there, this, it was a show that was intellectual at its best. Right. Um, and I think that was not something that was very popular at that point on television. And, and it really, I think it had a big impact. It got nominated for an Emmy for Best Drama in its last season, sort of a valedictory kind of thing. But it's for sci-fi, for Star Trek, I, you know, it really ended up with that broad appeal and I did. It, I think it, it led to people saying, "Well, crap, we should do some more sci-fi on TV." And then the floodgates really opened. One of the points I wanted to make is: is you watch the show now, and you you kind of have to admire how how thoroughly committed the actors are, because over the course of those seven seasons, they had to spout some really ridiculous dialogue with a straight face. Well, that's sci-fi, though. Well, they're, they're all they're all pros. That's true, right? and I think that's part of the reason why the first season's not so good, because they're so uncomfortable saying these ridiculous things. Yeah, but, you know, they, they if you watch it after a while, it, it's because they took it seriously and and they treated it they they treated the roles as as dignified honor, honorable serious right. well-rounded fully realized people and that's a hard thing to do when when your job is I'm vaguely telepathic and I waft around giving useless advice or um <laughs> which of course is I'm describing kind of um wharf <laughs> yes <laughs> God, Jesus. there is no yeah. honor in empathy <laughs> or, or i'm an android who wishes that i were a real boy or right, i'm, I'm an alpha man. male who or i'm an alpha male who who inexplicably is happy staying second in command to a bald frenchman who has the, who has a tea fetish Dr. I mean, and, and, yes. there's a dvd special feature that you should all watch if you haven't seen it which is the which is uh uh jonathan frakes and um who plays troy why can't i remember her name uh, Marina Sirtis. Oh, the Imzani, where they talk about that. They propose the spinoff. Yes. Yes, the spinoff. The the show where the the uh, oh the Rikers. The, the Rikers, and they talk on and on. The Rikers as and a sitcom is, where they adopt people. Yeah, they adopt. It's just incredibly fun. I play trombone, and you sing, and oh yeah, it's just great. Yeah, they didn't let they. Didn't, I feel like yeah. they didn't let them do enough comedy. Any of them, like yeah. that was one of the things. It's like, like there no, there are funny moments, and there are funny a few funny episodes. Well, like, in there. Yeah, Fistful of Datas was really funny. But by and large, yeah, there is a lot of is played very straight, and I think that's one of the things. You know, I think they they aimed to change Barry a little bit in some think, of the later. Yeah. Well, and Deep Space Nine, I think, had its fair share of episodes that were really and truly funny. Yes, um, and and mm -hmm. they let yeah. characters have good lines and one liners and quips and stuff like that. Um, and they had a little more. I would say Deep Space Nine is probably the funniest and most most tongue in cheek. I think. Um, and the most think dramatic, the I would say. But hey. <laughs> yeah. No, the next generation is remarkably humorless. I blame the Roddenberry ethos, though, because again, in this perfect future, you, when you think about it, humor, is a, humor is a natural reaction to a really imperfect world, and it's a way to mediate things like anger and disdain and helplessness. And if you've got this perfect universe, then you know you have no need to have any of those emotions because why would you? There's no conflict. There's nothing to cause them. So why would you cultivate a sense of humor? Like, and that's my problem with it overall is that I think, you know, we, you talked a little bit about before about like the, the, the society is all perfect and clean and everything. And that would never happen because they'd run into these other races that would make, you know, arguments with that. And I think the problem with that is it, it ignores the, the imperfections of humanity. And I think that like, yeah. I love, that's what I love about the later Star Trek shows is they show, you know what? It's not mm -hmm. so perfect. People argue. There are disputes. There's a whole rebel sect in like the later version of DS9 and, and, and Voyager. Like yeah. these guys don't want to live mm -hmm. in the Federation. Monkeys. 
So I, I think there's something, you know, that's what, what ultimately rung hollow for me on TNG is like, it's great. It's very intellectual. It raises some interesting sort of hard sci-fi issues, but at the same time, it feels so unreal because it lacks humanity. Yeah. And there's Dan bringing us down as he, he, he <laughs> we promised he would. Uh, I'll be going now. <laughs> but uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, <laughs> still better than Star Wars. Oh, oh no! Ah, wait, take that. Still better sorry, than Star we, Wars. I'm sorry. Those words don't make. S- oh wow! Wait. Okay. Those words make sense. Do you, do you mean in general, Scott, or do you mean if you average together the quality of all six Star Wars films uh, and Star Wars uh, TV series? There are, that, I don't think there are six yeah, Star Wars films, are there? <laughs> I think there are only three. Yeah, and the clo- you mean the Clone Wars? No, I think I think there were three Star Wars movies, and that was it. Ah, uh, yes, right. the first three. That's, right. That's actually like a parenting dilemma that I've got. Is is when when I introduce the daughter to Star Wars, do I start with Episode One and go oh, all the no, way through no, six, no. so she sees them in chronological no, order, no, no. or do I do four, five, and six, and then one, two, three? Or? Child Protective Services will come if you start with one. <laughs> That's right. Just just show her Star Trek: The Next Generation season three, and it'll be fine. Clearly, exactly. Clearly. That, First but if you episodes. haven't seen Encounter at Farpoint, then all good oh, things make no. sense. <laughs> well, save save it save it for right then. How about that? Oh, but then you don't have the build up. I'm gonna start with good I'll episodes. I'll say nothing else. I I watched. I you know I watched a show from beginning to end. Encounter at Farpoint is so terrible. Mm. It is pretty. It terrible. is not good. Ugh. Well, it had you know great CGI really for its like day. One. They could draw a glowing grid on the screen. That was the extent of the CGI yeah. in uh, you know 1987. Oh, it's like that episode, the game, where everybody gets addicted to this holographic game. <laughs> yeah. Dan and, and I were just is, talking about all that. it is is them trying to put, put the, all it that is was, is trying yeah. to put the little ball in the cup, Another and everyone's Wesley just entranced. And I was watching it and thinking, really, I love that episode. I love, oh, I love yeah. that episode. That was going to make my hated episode list. I, oh, I, Dan, I, I love that episode. It's. If oh, Ashley God. Judd is at her peak of cuteness and the Wesley body snatcher thing, I love that that he's he ends up being the only one there and and he even gets taken over in the end. It's I I it's cheesy, but I love that episode. So. I think there's a better game based episode, Deep Space uh, Nine. Of course, well you and you and Dan can go watch your Deep Space Nine. What could have been done to save or rehab Wesley Crusher's character? Uh, not including him. Just make him. Just make him all powerful. Right? Yeah, exactly. Make him a traveler, and uh, he goes away. I actually think the best thing that they could have done was. I mean, I think they intended to maybe bring him back, and then they decided they wouldn't. But it, it was a weird sort of thing where he, it's all set up for Wesley to come back and and be a legitimate ensign, and then he doesn't come back, and then then yes, and then he goes off with the with his friend the traveler to travel the world in a war bubble universe. or whatever. Good for. <laughs> Him. He's a traveling man. Well, I'm. You know, it takes it takes a lot to come out as a traveler to your mom. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then he's inexplicably in the Star Trek Nemesis movie at Will and uh, Deanna's wedding. He's he's he, and he has no lines he's because he's a traveler. There. He's traveled That's there. Just the producers doing us all because they like Will Wheaton. No, yeah. they, well, I thought yeah. there was a conflict there that Will always was talking years ago about how they uh, when he was when he was less popular and talking more openly about some of the things was that mm-hmm. they he had a lot of conflicts with them because of the decisions he made about running his own life and such. <laughs> Yes, I think he had dialogue in that movie, and they just ended up. They cut it, I think. Dialogue like, "So I've been traveling around the universe <laughs> with my friend, the Traveler." Let me show you my warp bubble. <laughs> I'm going to record the part where we say goodbye now because this this is falling off <laughs> this the podcast edge. is this over. Podcast never ends. This is, we are in a time loop. We are in a time loop. We are in a time loop. <laughs> I'm going to pop the bubble of the time loop now. <laughs> Like like data, I realize that the 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 repetition of the number three throughout this podcast has let me realize that if I fire the three impulse engines, I can avoid hitting Fraser's ship. Thank you. <laughs> but what about those tossed salad and scrambled eggs? They're Let's calling again. again. <laughs> um, so I'm going to thank my my uh, crew, my motley crew of the Starship Enterprise, uh, Dan Morin. Thanks for bringing us down. I'm always happy to bring people down. Beam them down, if you will. In the in the Ooh. you're in the Syracuse <laughs> slot. Um Lisa Schmeiser, great again having you on a podcast. It was my pleasure. Glenn Fleischman, thank you for being here and elevating things by talking about that crazy episode masks. I am doing experimental theater as I sit here. Right. That is a crazy episode. From a script by Joe Minoski and Scott McNulty. Um I wish they had made an episode of the next generation that was set in 17th century 
New York City with detectives. It is the one glaring fault of the series. So, um, until next time, thank you to everyone who has listened to the Incomparable Podcast. Um, this is Jason Snell, your host, signing off. And I would say something clever here about, like, live long and prosper. Was there a catchphrase for the next generation that I should say here? Engage! Engage. Engage. Make, it make, it, so. make it so. Number one? T. Earl Grey. Hot. <laughs> <laughs> there are four lights. We are the Borg. You will be assimilated. Resistance is futile. Wesley, put that down. <laughs> It's like cause and effect, but in the uh, opposite. See that that would be in my top in my that, top that's, three. That too. is one of the first episodes I ever saw, and as a result, it always has a special spot in my in my story. Also, because there have been so many good time loop episodes that I've seen since then that always make me think of cause and effect. Well, mm-hmm. that was that was the one that was the the. I mean, they actually had to work hard to make people think it wasn't a mistake. And now we see the time loop episodes, and we go, "Oh, I see what they're doing here." But cause and effect was like, "What are they doing?" Yeah, maybe we should. We need a whole. We need a whole podcast episode about time, time loop episode where we <laughs> just go and end. talk about them forever, <laughs> and we can just record one yeah, minute and do it over and over, over and over and over and over again. Never end. <laughs>we're back on the incomparable podcast. This is Jason Snell. I remember fondly growing up watching um, the original Star Trek every single night. Um, and, but this is not a podcast about Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock. It is instead about, in some ways, the most successful Star Trek TV series um, from the late 80s and early 90s. When I was in high school and college, Star Trek The Next Generation. The tractor beam will not be successful. I'm decompressing the main shuttle bay. We are clear of the distortion. Data, what happened? At the last moment, I speculated that three might refer to the number of rank insignia on Commander Riker's uniform. That indicated to me that his suggestion might be the correct course of action.